Welcome to the Buford Sermons Podcast, where we care about the things you care about. For more information or to donate to this ministry, please visit www.fbcbuford.org. To life, something that nobody else has ever done under their own power before. And we get to celebrate that in just a couple of weeks. Easter Sunday morning, we're having our regular times, 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock service, no life group in between. We're going to have extra chairs in here and all of that. If you've been um, with us the last few weeks and you're wondering how we're going to fit everybody in two services, no worries. I'm wondering the same thing, all right? But we're going to make it work. We're really, really excited about that day. Here's what I need you to do the next two weeks. I know it's spring break and all of that. I need you to invite everybody you can. People who don't have a church home, aren't connected to a a local church anywhere, there is no better place for them to be on Easter Sunday morning than right here with us in Buford. And so I want you to invite your friends to come and be a part. We'll have a seat for them. And um, if we don't have enough seats in one of the services, then some of you faithful, regular folks will stand up and give yours up for those guests, right? Um, But Uh, Some of you are like, nope, not me. But we're super excited about that day. But before we get to the day of Jesus' resurrection, there's some hard things that have to happen, right? Last uh, week, Pastor Jared did an incredible job. Listen, I don't say this every uh, week that I get up and preach, but I I say this um, today. If you missed last week, you need to go back and you need to get by yourself and you need to watch it. Uh, You don't need to watch it with the kids running around or with you distracted or your favorite TV show on in the background or any of that stuff. You just need to get by yourself and um, you might want to listen to the worship because that's really good as well. But if you don't have time to do that, you just need to get by yourself, fast forward, skip ahead uh, to when he starts preaching. And you need to listen to last week's as he did an incredible job walking us through uh, those moments in Gethsemane as Jesus prayed and as Jesus cried out and as Jesus, uh, that, that pressure he was under produced those sweat drops of blood. You need to go back and you need to listen to that as soon as you can. And so Jesus has had this moment where he prayed that great prayer, right? Uh, Lord, if there's any way, Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, Please let it pass from me. But then he makes that phenomenal statement that is so hard for us to make sometimes, right? When he says, not my will, but your will be done. In other words, God, I will accept this cup because it is your will. Knowing what Jesus was about to go through. And then he goes back to his disciples and they're supposed to be there praying with him. But they're doing like we do so often, right? They're asleep. They just couldn't handle it. I don't think they fully understood what was happening that night. They knew they were, Jesus had invited them out to pray with him, but they had fallen asleep. They just couldn't hang. And he goes back and he asked them, uh, and the verses leading up to the text we're going to deal with today, why are you sleeping? What, what's going on? Wake up. The hour is here. And they awaken. And as they're rubbing the sleep from their eyes, as their eyes are beginning to clearly focus. You've been there before when you woke up, right? Where you wake up and everything just kind of blurry and you kind of have to stretch and rub your eyes. And, and uh, as they're doing that, as some of them are probably uh, wishing that they could go back to sleep, wondering what does Jesus have us doing here, we get to verse 43. And I'm going to read all the way through 65 eventually, but I'm going to start with just reading through verse 52. Here's where we are this morning as we are on this journey to the cross. Just as Jesus was speaking, he had just said, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. In verse 41, look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. They open their eyes, and as Jesus is speaking... Judas, one of the twelve, appeared, and with him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near Jesus drew his sword, we know that this was Peter, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus. 
that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. And verses 51 and 52 are this detail that only Mark gives us, but it's a unique detail. And a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. In the beginnings of this story of Jesus' arrest, we're going to get to him before the Sanhedrin. We're going to get to him after they finally begin punishing him. But in these moments, we learn a very important truth that should give us much hope and much peace as followers of Christ Jesus. In verses 43 through 52, as Jesus is getting arrested, I imagine this scene, and I can't help but think of this simple truth. And that is that Jesus is the calm in the midst of chaos. Jesus is the calm in the midst of of chaos. When you look at the verses that we just read, you see this incredible event happening. Jesus had been praying. His disciples had fallen asleep. He yells at them to get up out of bed. I picture him speaking to them, maybe the way I speak to Drake early in the morning when I'm getting him up for school. He raised his voice a little bit. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. Do you recognize what's happening? You obviously don't they're coming to arrest me. You've fallen asleep. Wake up. They wake up and here comes Judas. Judas had given clear instructions that they were to arrest the one who he kissed. That he would identify Jesus in that way. And then somehow maybe it was supposed to be some sort of sneak attack. It was something there in the middle of the night. But Judas would approach Jesus and he would greet him with a term of respect, rabbi. And he would kiss him on the cheek. And after Judas kissed Jesus on the cheek, I believe Mark gives us some details here and the other gospels give us details of what happened with Peter. All chaos breaks loose. The Bible tells us that he kissed Jesus on the cheek and they come to arrest Jesus. As they come to arrest Jesus, Peter pulls out his knife and chops one of the ears off. Jesus picks the ear of the servant up off the ground, places it back on his head, and it's fully healed. I still can't imagine for the life of me how you could see a man do that and still arrest him. But we know Jesus is really the one who's in control here. That these people are functioning only under his authority and his power. I can imagine as this happens that we can't really even fully understand the chaos. You have to remember that these disciples who were with Jesus had given their lives to follow him. They had walked away from everything else to follow Jesus. They had seen him perform all of these miracles. They had heard his teaching. They believed in him. So as Peter cuts the ear to the servant off, I imagine there's screaming. There's rustling and fighting. There's chaos. Mark actually gives us an even fuller picture of this chaos. He says there was one who was wearing just a garment, probably just some night garment. It was the middle of the night. We don't know who this one is. Some would say maybe it was Mark. Some would give you all kinds of other uh, guesses at who it is. But we don't know who this person is. All we know is that there was a man there, a, a follower of Jesus, who was only wearing a garment, something probably that he would have slept in. And somewhere in the midst of the chaos... They seize him and he breaks free of his garment and there he is completely naked running through the garden. If you questioned the picture of chaos that was here, Mark affirms it. 
He says, this man had no cares that he was running through the garden the same way his mama brought him into the world. He wasn't concerned about covering himself or about his own shame. He only feared for his own life. This loud moment, this chaotic moment. Everything happening around the disciples and around Jesus is crazy. I would imagine each one would have their own story. There's confusion. Why would Peter swing a knife at this man? Why would Jesus pick his ear up off the ground and put it back on his head? Why? The Bible says that the disciples fled. In the midst of this chaos, though, what is Jesus doing? He's just standing. And I believe he calmly looks at them. In verses, verse 41, I believe that Jesus was probably a little elevated in his vocal presentation of what he was saying to his disciples. Get up. Wake up. This is happening. But then in verse 48, there's a calmness to this. There's a peace to this. There's a demonstration of control that only Jesus can have. Am I leading a rebellion? Why do you come at me with clubs and swords? Do you not remember that I was just teaching in the synagogues with you and you never arrested me then? All you had to do was come and take me. Every day you had opportunity. But what you're doing now is so that the scripture will be fulfilled. While chaos is happening around Jesus, Jesus very confidently and very calmly demonstrates, I'm still in control here. Shouldn't that bring us hope today? To know that while the world is fighting around us, Jesus is still in control. While the direction that we're moving is scary, Jesus is still in control. To know that when the Apostle Paul says that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes, that he is talking about us while our world is in chaos, God is still working. And when he tells us of a peace that passes all understanding, he's talking about our circumstances while our finances are scary, while we're losing sleep at night, while our kids are running off the deep end, while our schools are somewhere that we fear sending our kids maybe, while the world is killing babies, while uh, corporations are seeking to influence our kids in directions that we don't want them to influence our kids, while we look out there and there is war and there is fighting and there is deceit and there is sin that is running rampant where right is called wrong and wrong is called right and we fill our lives with all of this stress and worry and concern, Jesus calmly says to you, I'm still in control. While you're doing all of this and while you're fighting and worrying and concerned, I'm here. Scripture is being fulfilled. And I'm still God. Listen. There should be no more peaceful person on the planet than the faithful follower of Christ Jesus. Does that mean that our life is smooth and easy? No. Does that mean that our life is absent from anxiety? No. Does that mean that we're untouched by the worries of the world? No. But it means in the midst of all of that, we have hope that nobody else has. We have peace that nobody else can understand. That can understand. We have purpose that goes beyond our current 
circumstances because Jesus is in the middle of it all. When we are in Christ and Christ is in us, when the betrayal comes, Jesus is still Jesus. When swords are raised, Jesus is still Jesus. When confusion reigns, Jesus is still Jesus. When heartache is experienced, Jesus is still Jesus. And when we're standing naked in our shame, Jesus is still Jesus. And he's still in control. And he's still working. He is the calm in the midst of chaos. Listen, one of the places that I miss it the most, one of the places that I, this is your pastor, I'm not talking about you, that I miss the most, I miss the mark the most, is when I see chaos around me, many times I like to think that I'm the calm, that I can fix it, that I can figure it out, that it's worth my lack of sleep. It's worth my stress. It's worth my little faith. And I figure out ways to try to help myself figure it out. I don't know if you know this about me, if you've known me maybe personally for any amount of time, my brain is always running and I'm a little bit ADD or ADHD. And so things are always happening in my mind and I also carry my feelings really big. That's just kind of who I am. I carry my feelings in a really big way. And I probably struggle with more things than I like to pretend like I struggle with and then I like to admit I struggle with. And uh, it's funny, uh, one of our dear friends who sitting in the room this morning one time, um, he doesn't know how this uh, conversation impacted me, but we were sitting and hanging out and having dinner and he began talking about a doctor that he had been to and um, this doctor began talking about uh, the different things of, uh, that are, are symptoms of, of ADHD and, or ADD and adult ADD. And my wife is sitting there and Jared and Nicole, uh, you know, our best friends are sitting there, the people who know me the best. And he began describing what the doctor said. Do these things happen? Do you wake up all the time in the middle of night? Um, and I didn't say anything. Aaron goes, yes. Uh, do you find yourself interrupting people sometimes in conversation? And Jared goes, absolutely. And he began naming all of these things. And um, my best friends and my wife diagnosed me right there on the spot. I've never felt better at a dinner in all of my life. I walked in this morning. I told Jared, I think I took too many melatonin last night. I did. I, I woke up this morning and the groggy was just still there. Why? Because there are a million things that I can worry about. Because there is chaos all around me. And I find myself physically thinking that I am the answer to the chaos. And then I read Mark 14. Hey, Jesus says, Hey, dummy, would you find your rest in me? Instead of scrolling through your phone, would you cry out to the creator of the universe? Instead of tossing and turning and wrestling with ways you think you can fix things, would you trust me? I'm the peace. I'm the calm. My word is the answer. In the midst of our hurt, our pain, our suffering, our fighting, our world, the sin, the chaos all around us. Jesus says, Peter, put your sword away. Let me fix this dude's ear. I've got this. And Jesus walks away. I picture these guards and servants trying to tug him along, feeling like they're in control and they're winning. And Jesus just walking. 
settle down, guys. I know where I'm going. And we get to verse 53. They took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders. Listen closely to this passage. And the teachers of the law came together, and Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. We're not going to get into Peter today. But Peter should make us feel a little, better, a little bit better about ourselves sometimes. Peter follows him at a distance in the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. And the chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days we'll build another not made with hands. Yet even then, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Here's the next truth we learn in this remarkable night in human history as they arrest the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and begin his journey towards the cross. And that is that Jesus is the truth in the midst of deceit. I love this part of the story. They gather him and they begin trying to build their case against Jesus. And the Bible very clearly and plainly tells us, Mark very clearly and plainly tells us that they begin making all of these accusations against Jesus, but none of the accusations made sense. One person would come up and say something and another person would come up and give some other false testimony against Jesus and the testimony never aligned. In this day and age, it was said, that there must be two to three uh, who, would, um, uh, who, who would agree, three testimonies that would agree in order for one to be found guilty. And every time the world would come and they would try to make some accusation against Jesus, you would find that their arguments would never align. There was never any logic there. There was never any agreement. Even in those who agreed they didn't like Jesus, there was no agreement upon what truth was. Even when they tried to take some of Jesus' statements and they tried to twist them that he would tear down the temple and it would rebuild it again in three days, they shared this. Jesus did say that, but they couldn't agree with how he said it. They couldn't agree with the details of what he said. Even in that, there wasn't enough proof to convict Jesus. I picture person after person coming and taking the stand and those who were angry with Jesus going, well, that didn't work, send the next one. And those who were angry with Jesus saying, nope, that didn't align, send the next one. And those who were angry with Jesus saying, nope, that one didn't make sense, send the next one. Doesn't it sound similar? That we live in a world that is full of deceit and there's only one truth. Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. In the beginning of the book of John, Jesus introduced to us as the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us that Jesus is the completion of scripture he's the completion of the law that Jesus is truth in the midst of deceit and what we learn here what I learn here I'm just gonna preach to you what God has preached to me in my preparation if that's okay and maybe some of you are more spiritual and better than I am, or maybe some of you can kind of relate. But what I've learned here is that many times I find myself wanting to argue with the world. Listen, I find myself wanting to argue with the world about things that the world's never going to understand. Their arguments don't make sense. 
They're illogical, aren't they? They don't match up. There's no proof there. There is no there are no historical studies there. There's no factual information there. And do you know what Jesus did while people came and tried to make up all of this stuff about him? Did you read it in Mark 14? While people came and tried to accuse Jesus of all of these things and tried to bring this deceit and these lies... The Bible says that Jesus stood silent. You know what? Jesus didn't speak until they asked him who he was. Can I tell you something that's going to save you a lot of breath and save you a lot of arguments? Listen. Until the world understands who Jesus is, they're not going to care what Jesus says. Listen. Until they understand who he is, they're not going to care what he says. Does that mean that we shouldn't stand for truth? No. Does that mean that we shouldn't stand for morality? No. Does that mean that we should remove ourselves from the public square? No. Does that mean that we shouldn't vote? No. Does that mean that we shouldn't make decisions? When we view things in the world that are centered around lies and deceit and sin, absolutely not. We should stand for those things. We should stand for what is male and what is female. We should stand for the rights of the unborn. We should stand for all of those things. We should stand for truth. But listen to me. I believe with all of my heart that the follower of Jesus has given themselves far too much heartburn trying to convince people who don't know who Jesus is to believe what Jesus says. Jesus, listen. When the believer, the follower of Christ understands that Jesus doesn't just speak the truth, but that Jesus is the truth, it drastically changes how we go about our lives, doesn't it? Jesus stood silently, and then they asked the question, are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And then Jesus stands up straight and says, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Listen, when we are seeking truth, we've got to recognize as the follower of Christ. Hear this. Please hear this. Church attender, casual watcher, Seeking truth always begins with following Jesus. When we recognize who Jesus is, it's then that the word of God impacts our lives. When we recognize who Jesus is, it's then that we begin to understand the truths of his teaching. That Jesus is who He is the one who spoke all things into being. He is the son of God. He is the one who left his throne in heaven to be born of a virgin, to live a life of perfect 33 years on this earth. He is the one who raised Lazarus from the dead. He is the one who made the blind to see. He is the one who turned the water into wine. He's the one who calmed the sea. He's the one who walked on the sea. He's the one who hung on a cross and died. He's the one who by his own power uh, came back to life and rose from the dead that Jesus is God he is the Messiah he is the son of man he is the son of God he is the savior of the world he is the king of kings he is the Lord of lords and when we recognize who Jesus is then we can't help but live in the truth of what Jesus says but it starts with who he is I'm the Messiah And then we read verses 63 through 65 and we finish up this morning. 
Remember all these people said these false things about Jesus? And the educated chief priest and the smart people were like, ah, that didn't work, we can't do anything with that. Well, Jesus said this, that, that doesn't work, we can't do anything with that. That's not enough. But then Jesus speaks truth. I am. I am who I am, the Messiah. And you will see me, the Son of Man, sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And verse 63 says, the high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him, and they blindfolded him, and they struck him with their fist, and they said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. Can I share with you our third truth this morning? Ultimately, Jesus is what's offensive in the midst of the offended. We live in a world where it is so easy to offend and be offended, isn't it? Anything we say is offensive. Anything we do, somebody's going to be offended. If you try to stand up for truth, you're going to offend somebody. If you say things in today's world, listen. If you say things in today's world, that for decades have just been understood as common sense, all of a sudden you are making a controversial statement that's going to offend somebody. And many times what we do as followers of Christ trying to live in a Western society where we want to be accepted and we want to be top dog and we want to be influential, listen, we become so concerned about all of the little things about who we are and what we believe and what we've been taught is true that offend others, that we focus on all these statements that are offensive or all these uh, things that we believe that are offensive or how the world views us. Sometimes we live our lives where we don't feel like we're actually good followers of Jesus unless we're offending somebody, right? Isn't that true? My social media ought to offend some people because I speak truth. And we feel like we should be culture warriors who are constantly battling and fighting. And what we do in the midst of that is we miss what we should be focused on because we miss the real source of those who are being offended. Can I tell you a secret? Most of the world is okay with some of the teachings of Jesus. I could go anywhere and I could teach the Sermon on the Mount. I could teach the Beatitudes the blessed are, and people would nod, and most people would be okay with that. People love that Jesus says the second greatest command is to love your neighbor as yourself. Most people, listen, for most people, I can take at least some segment of Jesus' teaching and I can be very accepted by the culture and by people. Honor your father and your mother, that's good. Even the Old Testament, the commandments, you shouldn't murder, you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't kill, that's good. But listen, most people you can find some part of Jesus' teaching and they'll be okay with. So what is the world so offended by? Hear me. The world is not so offended by what Jesus says. The world is offended by who Jesus is. It's who he is. 
Jesus said, love your neighbor. That's great. Jesus is the son of God. Ho now. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's great. Jesus is the creator of the universe. Wait a minute. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Amen. Jesus is the son of God, born of a virgin who lived a perfect life. And actually, who Jesus is tells us that blessed are those who mourn their own sin. Hold now. All these accusations came against Jesus. And Jesus stood silently. And the leaders of this illegal court had no stones to throw. They couldn't do anything with it. And then Jesus said, I'm the Messiah. And I mean this as reverently. And I don't mean this in a cursing fashion. All hell breaks loose. Right there. Because of who Jesus is. Hear me, church. The world is never going to be okay with who Jesus is. They're never going to be okay with you following him because of who he is. Hear this, church. We are seeking, here, Buford Church, listen. We are seeking to reach our community with who Jesus is. But there will always be more. There will always be more who are offended by who Jesus is than who celebrate who Jesus is. We will always be the minority. Because who Jesus is changes our lives. Jesus says, I'm the Messiah. And one day, you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. If I pull that verse out, and for those of you who are lovers of Jesus, who are followers of Christ, who are seeking to live for him in this crazy world, those of you who have transformed lives, those of you who are seeking to raise your kids to know who he is, you hear the statement, I am, I am the Messiah, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on clouds of heaven. For those of us who know Jesus, who believe Jesus, who follow Jesus, when we hear that statement, it should stir up within us an excitement. It should stir up within us a joy. It should stir up within us a hope. It should stir up within us a peace in the midst of the chaotic world we live in. It should stir up within us a confidence of knowing that we stand on the truth of the word of the creator of the universe. It should stir up within us a hope of looking to the future and knowing that he holds it in our hands that when we're suffering and when we're sad and when we're mourning and when we're confused and when we're anxious, we know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One, the Son of God. It brings us hope. It brings us joy. It brings us peace. It brings us comfort. It brings us purpose. But when the world hears it, it brings fear. It brings anger. It brings frustration. And hear me, the world does not get offended at you if you're living as a follower of Jesus. You ain't that important. The world's not offended and rejecting who you are. The world gets offended and rejects always who Jesus is until... Until somebody opens their mouth and shares with that lost world the beautiful hope of the gospel.
and the Holy Spirit does this supernatural work in their heart and life. And that one person in the midst of that chaotic crowd, while Jesus was hanging on the cross, the thief hanging next to him, the soldier, the one soldier, not the crowd of soldiers, the one who was gambling with his garments. The words of Jesus and the hope of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit transformed their heart. And they didn't all of a sudden believe in the teachings of Jesus. They all of a sudden believed in the person of Jesus. And then the teachings of Jesus were the guide for their lives. So what's the point, Stephen? This is the faithful few crowd. The spring break, first week of spring break crowd. Stephen, get me out of here so I can go to the lake, head to the beach, head to the mountains, all those things. Listen, what do we learn from this dark night? Well, here's your application. Every single one of us has some sort of chaos around us. You have something causing you to lose sleep. You have something that puts that weird pit in your stomach. Hear me. Maybe it's what's happening in the world. Maybe it's what's happening across the world. Maybe it's what's happening in the state below us. Maybe it's wherever. Hear me. Jesus is your calm. You can't reason your way out of it. You can't plan your way out of it. Jesus is your calm. Get in his word. Spend time with him. Some of you are looking for answers. Listen, Jesus is your truth. If your truth does not align with Jesus, who he is, and because of who he is, what he teaches and what his word, his living word says to us, your truth is not truth. Jesus is where we rest for peace. And Jesus is where we go for answers. And when we feel like the world is against us, you ain't that big a deal. Jesus is who they're really offended by. And your only job is to carry the hope of the gospel of who Jesus is to those who are offended. Jesus is the answer. Some of you this morning need to trust in the one who controlled even his own death, his arrest, his beatings, by simply saying, Jesus, I need you. I need your peace. I need your wisdom. I need your power. Jesus, I surrender everything I am to you, to your word. Some of you this morning need to acknowledge your sin, turn from your sin, and trust in the one who gave his life for you. At the end of the service, I'll be here waiting. Pastor Wayne will be in the back. We would love to talk to you about what that means. Or you can text that word Buford Info to that number 97000. There's an option there. I think it's the first one. You just respond with the number one. That you need to trust in Jesus and we'll begin that conversation with you. If that's you, you be obedient this morning. Don't reject who he is. Listen, if you walk out of here not knowing Jesus, you are not rejecting something about the church. You're not rejecting something about his teaching. You are rejecting who the Son of God is. And you do not want to be on the wrong side of rejecting who the Son of God is. Would you trust in Jesus this morning? Follower of Christ, listen, we live in a chaotic world, it is broken. This week, while some of you have some rest, I know some of y'all don't have kids, spring break doesn't mean anything to you, but some of us, man, there's gonna be some moments of rest. Maybe, instead of just thinking we're supposed to just go blow off some steam and get away from everything, maybe for your pastor, he just needs to rest in who Jesus is. Know that Jesus and his peace and his wisdom is enough. And that when the world's against me, I ain't the focus of them being offended. 
Jesus takes that in my place. Would you rest in him this week? Let's stand together. If you need to trust in him, you come see us. You text that number to that word, that word to that number. God, I thank you for this day. Thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for this chaotic night that we got to look at, Lord. Men running naked, folks chopping people's ears off, screaming and fighting. And in the center of it all, you just being you. Fully and totally in control, knowing what has happened, what is happening, and what's going to happen. And God, I pray that we would walk out of here this morning with that same faith. The faith of knowing that in the midst of our chaos, you were standing calmly reminding us, I am the Lord God, the Messiah, the Creator, the Word become flesh, the Son of Man, the King of Kings, the one who will one day come back for us. We thank you for those truths, Lord. Help us to lean in to who you are. And in leaning into who you are, to understand what you tell us through your word. We love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
We hope that you have been blessed and challenged by this message. If you have questions, prayer requests, or want to know more about how to follow Jesus, please check us out at fbcbuford.org.